Thank you for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app. We're continuing the gift with today's message, the gift of love. Looking again in Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel meets Mary to let her know that she is highly favored with God, Pastor will explain what that favor looks like, that nothing is impossible for God, and why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Let's jump right in. We're going to talk again about the Christmas story, about some aspects of the story. There's so much in the story. Uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 1 and kind of setting it, the, 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 the story. Six months earlier, the, the angel Gabriel is just about to come and talk to Mary here. Six months before, Gabriel was sent to Zechariah. His wife Elizabeth was barren, bringing him a message that she was going to have a child. They were to name him John. He was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And six months have passed, and now the angel Gabriel's going to show up again. And it seems like Gabriel is the, the messenger angel. Gabriel came and, and brought a message to Daniel in, in the Old Testament. He's the one that God would send with the message. And so it says in Luke 1.26, now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And uh, if you've got a, an, an opportunity, you won't want to circle that betrothed. We're going to talk about that in a, a little bit. Of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And when the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I don't know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One that will be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow, this is absolutely packed. But, but right where I'm reading, I see that 37th verse, which says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. It's amazing to me how we limit God. In fact, the Bible talks in Psalms 78, and it says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. God wanted to do so much more through them and for them, but their unbelief limited him. Now, this is nothing is impossible. You know, we look at our situation and we think our situation is so large. But think about this. Our God is the God who created the universe, who said, let there be light. And galaxies leaped into existence. 
They tell us in our galaxy alone, there's stars that are hundreds of millions of light years away. And, and yet when God spoke, the power of his word created that. And, and we look at our problem and we think it's big. It's not big. The problem is we're looking at the problem, focusing on the problem instead of focusing on God. Another translation of that same verse says this, for with God, nothing is ever impossible and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. The fact that God speaks something when he speaks that thing, the power to bring it into fulfillment is in the word that he spoke. And we need to believe that that is, that that is true, that that promise is true for us and that God is watching over his word to fulfill that word. Now, the Bible says that they came to Nazareth. Uh, you can go to Nazareth today. Uh, at the time of, of Jesus' birth, uh, Nazareth was a small town of just several hundred people. About three miles away, there's a large city, the city of Sephoris. Uh, you can go there today, and, and now you only see the, the, uh, the ruins of Sephoris. In fact, we probably have a couple Sephoris pictures up here. Um, Sephora was the banking capital. It was the political capital. It was the business capital of the entire Galilee region. Uh, is it any wonder that, that Jesus spoke so much about money and about when he would talk about money, he would talk about huge sums of money. But he was brought up right next to Sephora. In fact, his mother, Mary, her father was a scroll scholar in Sephoris, in the synagogue in Sephoris. Now, now, we know that from early Christians that were in the area. And, and so what, what we have here is Jesus' mother is living in this little town on the outskirts of a huge political capital. And the angel shows up. And, and by the way, we even have some pictures of uh, kind of like the, it's almost like a movie set of what Nazareth looked like 2,000 years ago. You can go to a carpenter shop. You can go to the, an exact replica of the synagogue that would have been there. Um, you, you can go to the restaurant. That's the, re oh, the food is amazing in that restaurant. And it's just about, about time here. So no wonder I'm thinking about the food. So he comes in and, and, and gives her the word of what is going to happen. And really what this is, is this is a fulfillment of a word that God spoke back in Genesis chapter three, in verse 15. He spoke this word to Adam, to Eve, and to the devil, specifically speaking to the devil. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Now, the word to bruise or to crush the head, it was actually a military term that when a king went into a region and he conquered that region, he would take his opponent and he would strike him to the ground and put his foot on their head or on their neck. If you read the book of Judges, you saw how Joshua did that. He had the people come and put their foot on the head of the enemy that they had just conquered. And what God is saying is, devil, you may have won 
a battle, but you are going to lose the war because there is somebody coming and it is the seed of the woman. And when that seed comes, he will defeat you and take your authority from you. He will disarm you. He will crush or bruise your head. Now, that's what Jesus did. Now, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Unfortunately, we read that and we picture ourselves cowering behind some gates as Satan is advancing with his troops. And we're just like, hold the fort. Jesus, rescue us. But that is not the picture that Jesus paints for us. Jesus says that the church is at the gates of hell. We are knocking down the gates of hell, that the devil cannot be victorious, that he, the church is not defeated, but the church is going to be victorious. Now, literally, what we should be doing is we should be picking a fight. You know, when Jesus, listen, listen, Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. But what the devil heard was, this is the seed. This is the one who's going to defeat you. This is the one who's going to crush your head. And the Bible says that immediately the Spirit of God sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you understand what that means? That means that God's not afraid of the devil. That means that you as a church should not be afraid of the devil. You, you shouldn't be hiding. You should be picking a fight. In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a king named Saul who literally falls away from God, but his son Jonathan is with his armor bearer and the Philistines have come into the land. And, and, and he says to his armor bearer, they're outnumbered like 50 to one. Hey, he says, uh, let's go up and pick a fight. Let's go pick a fight. And he charges, he climbs up a, a steep cliff and he charges the enemy. And uh, Obviously, God brings this tremendous, tremendous victory that day. But what did he do? He said, look, God's on our side, and God is able to deliver by many or by few, so let's go pick a fight. I want to encourage you to pick a fight because God's on your side. The, the, the cross is the place where the devil was defeated. Now, notice the angel said, that you're going to have a child. And she said, how can that be since I don't know a man? Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus was born, said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. You know, there's been two men on the planet that weren't born. In fact, you, you can say this about the Bible. The whole Bible is really written. It's the story of two men that have the same name. The first one was named Adam and lived with a woman in a garden, and her name was Eve. And that guy messed up, got us all in trouble. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven because I want to ask him some questions. And if I'm not sanctified, I'll probably want to kick him in the hind end because of all the stuff, I mean, all the trouble that he brought. 
You see, but the Bible says because of his sin, death, sickness, disease, war, pestilence, he led everything into this world. And in addition, he was the first Adam. You can say it this way. He was the first prototype or he was the first representative man. He represented you and he represented me and everything that he did and he messed it up. Now, this is going to be a little bit theological, but I want you to think about this. In the book of Romans, sin is mentioned 46 times. And of those 46 times, 44 times, it's a verb. Excuse me, it's a noun, only twice it's a verb. It's a noun, 44 times. So when it talks about sin, it's not talking about something you've done. It's talking about something that somebody else did. Adam, and that sin was passed on to you. In fact, Romans 7, I believe it's verse 23, says the law of sin that abides in your members. In other words, there's this nature, there's this sin nature that's on inside you. So, so when the Bible talks about sin, most of the time it's not talking about what you do wrong. It's talking about something that is passed on to you, a nature, a guilt that's passed on to you. So that's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, because that guilt is passed through the male seed, and it continues on through that male seed. Now, the Bible says, well, 1 Corinthians 15, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam. So there's another man who's named Adam. You and I call him Jesus. He is the last representative man. The first representative man messed up in the garden. Now, the last Adam, immediately what God does is send him into the wilderness to be confronted by the devil, right? He says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. God formed him. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The last Adam is Jesus. He came from heaven. Isaiah said it like this, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The child refers to Jesus' earthly nature. He was born. But the son refers to his divine nature, which was given. You see, Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born in Bethlehem. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, it's a, a quote from the Psalms, but let me read it to you. Speaking of Jesus, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Listen, Jesus did not come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. As he's going, going to come into the world, he said, he left heaven. And as he's leaving heaven, he is talking with God the Father, and he says, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you have prepared for me. He left heaven. The Bible says in Philippians 2, it's called the kenosis, if you're a theologian, but it says he emptied himself of all his innate deity, and he put on a suit of humanity, and he came in the form of a man and of a servant. You know, how many realize Jesus did not come to be served? He came to serve. He came to give his life to redeem many. He, he, he came with the express purpose 
of taking what the first Adam had done and undoing it and defeating the devil and crushing his head. Back to Luke 1. She was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothed. Uh, It's kind of like an engagement, but not really. Uh, First of all, uh, in, in that culture at that time, marriages were arranged. You, you didn't pick your spouse. Your parents picked your spouse. And I like the idea myself. I really do. Uh, my, my good friend Mark Hankins tells the story. Uh, uh, he's a pastor's kid. But he, he, he went through a little rebellious time. And uh, he's just finishing high school. And he brings this girl home. And he says, she came in. She had a short miniskirt on. And he says, she was kind of sassy. He says, and my mama saw her, and she went, I plead the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and mama said, what did you bring in her home? He said, well, I like her. And her mama, his mama said to him, well, you might, he says, you might like, how did she put that? She says, you might get what you like, but you won't like what you get. How many of you realize when you're, get, when you're about to get married, you think you know everything, and you are stupid. <laughs> you, you don't know anything yet. You really, you don't. So what the, what the betrothal period was, it was a one-year period of time. And during that time, you were taught skills to be successful in your marriage. Now, I think it's interesting that today, most of the time, we spend a lot more money and effort on the wedding ceremony than we do on the, 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 the marriage that's going to, going to potentially last, supposed to last, a lifetime. And today, you cannot be an electrician without getting a license and going through an apprenticeship. But yet, with marriage, we just like, well, they like each other, they look cute. See how it goes. Well, you need a lot more than it looks good, right? And what the problem is this. We just naturally assume that we know what to do because we were brought up in a home with people, right? But so often, our models were not good models. And I think much more time needs to be put into the preparation for the marriage than needs to go into the preparation for the wedding ceremony. In verse 28, the angel said, you're highly favored. Highly favored. Now, it's interesting that 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 Greek word there is used only two times in the whole New Testament. And the other time that it's used, by the way, is found in Ephesians 1 and 6, where it says that you are accepted in the beloved. Speaking of you, that same thing that the angel said to Mary, God says about you that you are highly favored, that you are accepted. Now, in uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus preaches his first sermon. He's at the synagogue In Nazareth, they bring him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll. He finds the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to captives and recovery to the sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed. And he keeps going. And then he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the the Lord, the day when the salvation and free favors of God profusely abound. 
The day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. The Bible says Mary was highly favored. It says the same thing about you. You are favored. You say, well, what does it mean? Well, there's a, the, 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 it means literally to be graced. So in other words, you receive something that you did not work for and you did not earn. It's to give, give to, to endue with special favors, to make acceptable, to make highly favored. So it's not based on your behavior. Because how many of you realize we always fall short in our behavior? But it's based on our relationship with Jesus. Favor can be translated the friendly disposition from which kindly acts proceed. To assist, to provide with special advantages, to receive preferential treatment. Think about that. So often, we try to base everything on our behavior. In fact, it seems like Mary was kind of doing the same thing because the angel came and said, you're highly favored. And she's like, what kind of greeting is that? But we tend to look at our shortcomings, our sins, our failures, the things that we do wrong. But the Bible says that in Christ, you are accepted. You are highly favored. You are in that spot to receive assistance and special advantages and receive preferential treatment. Because he that knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, Jesus is coming, and he's coming in the flesh. According to Philippians chapter 2, he takes and he empties himself of all of his innate deity. And somebody said, well, why did he come? Well, it was the only way that we could be redeemed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, if there's another way for people to be redeemed, for their sins to be forgiven, for them to be right with you, to be in relationship with you, he says, do it the other way. But there was no other way. But it says this in Hebrews 1. Has in these last days, God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. In the third verse, it says the express image of his person. Other translations say the exact representation and perfect imprint of his father's essence. Another, he is the perfect imprint, the very nature, image of God's nature, the exact copy of the nature of God. So in the Old Testament, there were lots of ways and times that God spoke. But today, to clarify everything, God has come in the flesh, and Jesus is the exact representation the perfect imprint of God's essence. So, so here's, what that, here's what that means in being very, very practical. Um, how many of you have read stuff in the Old Testament and you went, I don't get it? All right. Me too. Read stuff and I don't get it. But here's what this means. It means Jesus trumps everything. Jesus trumps everything. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. So let me give you a, an example of this. In uh, Matthew 19, the Pharisees 
are questioning Jesus about divorce. Can we divorce for any reason? And Jesus said, no. In the beginning, God made them male and female and said that a man would leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two would become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said, yeah, but Moses commanded us to divorce our wives. And Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But in the beginning, it was not so. In other words, when sin came, things happened that weren't God's perfect will. Here was even a command, you can divorce your wives. It says God permitted it. Not that it was the best, not that it was his plan, but people had hard hearts. How many have met anybody with a hard heart? And he said, this is the only way to do it. There's things in the Old Testament that they're the old things, but they do not represent God's essence, his nature, his love for you and for me. When we look at Jesus, we can see the, exactly what God would do. They bring a woman caught in the act of adultery. The law said stoner. But Jesus said, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody leaves. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jeremiah 23, 23, God said, I am a God near at hand says the Lord, I am not a God, a God afar off. He is God most high, but he is God most nigh. He said, I am not far off. You may feel like God is far off, but he's not. David said, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell below, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, behold, you're there. See, the, the God is not far off. And he sent Jesus. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just like you and me. He understands the pain. He understands rejection. He understands sorrow. He understands grief. He understands every temptation any person will ever face. And he's not afar off. The Bible says he's near. He's near. And that's how we need to see the Lord. We need to see him as he is. He's near. Now, I was brought up in a church where every Sunday we read the Ten Commandments. And, and I'm not against the Ten Commandments. Obviously, the Ten Commandments are good. But what we thought was these commandments, if we do these things, we're going to be right with God. But the commandments were never given to make you right with God. I mean, that may be a shock to you, but that's not why they were given. In fact, Romans 5, verse 20 says, Moreover, the law, the commandments entered that the offense, or as the translation says, sin may abound. So in other words, God gave the law so that you would know you're a rotten sinner. That's why he gave it. He did not give the law so you could say, okay, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do this. God, look how good I am. That's not the purpose. The purpose of the law is so you go, help, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law or by obeying the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No one has ever, ever, ever obeyed 
all the laws you were supposed to do and not disobey the laws you weren't supposed to do and can say to God, God, look at me. I'm righteous. No, no one ever has. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In fact, Paul says this. He says, if you try to be justified by works, he says, you fall from grace. You fall from grace. And that's why so many people, their, 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 their spiritual life is like it's up and down. And sometimes they say, oh, I'm, I'm going by grace. But then they try to go by their behavior and they fail. And let me tell you, if you go by your behavior, you fail every time. But that's why God took him that knew no sin, Romans 5, 21, and made him to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So at the cross, Jesus is on that cross and God empties him out. And he puts all of what you have ever done wrong on Jesus. And he empties you out and he takes all of Jesus' righteousness and he gives it to you. And that's why the Bible says that the gospel is God's way of making men righteous. Making men righteous. And it is entirely by faith. It's not by works. It's by faith. Galatians 3.24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. It was just to show us we need a Savior. That's what the purpose of the law was. And when she saw him, she considered, or she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this could be. You're highly favored. You're accepted. That's God's word to you. You are highly favored. You're accepted. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You are who God says you are. And what Mary did was she said this. She said, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. That's where every one of us need to be. There, there are 30,000 verses in the Bible. Now, I haven't counted them, but they say that there are 7,000 promises in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says that every promise is yes and amen in Christ. Every promise belongs to you. But you're going to read that promise and you're going to think, how can that be? How can that be? See, but when you believe it and you say, let it be to me according to your word, she activated her faith and she said, God, I believe your word. And what she believed came to pass. And what you and I believe of God's promises to us will come to pass when we're like Mary and we say, God, I believe it. Let it be to me according to your word. I want to thank you for being with us today. I want to ask you a question. I want to know about your relationship with God. Where do you stand? You know, culture tells us good people go to heaven. The Bible tells us something different, that none of us are good enough. The Bible tells us forgiven people go to heaven. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That means all of my efforts to be right with God could never save me, and all of your efforts could never save you. Jesus said he is the only way. He died on the cross. He shed his blood and paid for your sin. And every one of us need to receive him. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 1, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. How do you receive him? 
You receive him as your Lord, your king, and you lay your life down before him. So if you're not right with God today, you say, I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to go to heaven. Then I'm going to invite you right now to pray this prayer with me from your heart. I want you to, to, to literally speak these words out loud from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. He is my Lord, and I will live for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. I'm forgiven. My past is gone, and I'm right with God on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that from your heart, you are right with God. You are forgiven. Uh, I wrote a book to help you keep growing spiritually, and I want to send it to you free of charge. Now, there's information on your screen, and you can download that book. Or if you need a hard copy, if you'll contact us, we will send you that hard copy free of charge. I want to thank you for being with us. God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have it mailed to you. Download it right there instantly, or you can find it on our app. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Walking by Faith is used on and off the air to change lives all around the world. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a partner with us. You can now text WBFGIVE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv give or click on the giving icon in our app. Find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and on your favorite social platform by searching for WBF TV. Also, check out our app in your favorite app store. You can download past sermons, follow along with notes, speak confessions over your life, and so much more. I want to challenge you this week, this season, to think outside of yourself, your family, your needs, and consider being like Jesus, a servant to someone in your community. Until next time, be blessed.